In January 2018, at the Denver Central Market, John, Chris, and Rich were planning a business venture around training for Docker. John and Chris were explaining Docker to Rich, and he said, I wish I could have recorded that. And the idea for MobyCast was born. In episode one, the three of them tried to recreate that conversation on virtual machines versus containers. They got most of it right, but there were some inconsistencies and holes. The MobyCast crew admits, we didn't prepare as well as we should have for that first episode, and frankly, it shows. More than 80 episodes later, the crew has learned a lot and are ready for a do-over. In this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris kick off a four-part series on virtual machines, containers, and how they compare. They correct old mistakes, fill in the gaps, and dive a whole lot deeper than before. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Before we get started today, I'm so happy and so proud to be able to announce that we have a sponsor. So MobyCast is no longer ad-free. But our sponsor is one that we really do care about. We use CircleCI, and we've talked about CircleCI in a previous episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, so I just have this to say. This episode is brought to you by CircleCI, the continuous integration and delivery service used by companies like Twilio, Intuit, and Tinder. CI/CD is so important for keeping teams building. It's all CircleCI does. They focus on creating powerful, flexible CI/CD pipelines so that you and your team can focus on doing what you do best. Whether you're a company of five or 500, CircleCI can build, test, and deploy your Linux, Windows, and Mac OS projects from GitHub and Bitbucket in their cloud or installed on your servers. And anyone can sign up and start building for free since CircleCI gives both private and public projects a thousand free build minutes per month. Sign up and start building for free at CircleCI.com. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. Today we're going to go back in time and redo episode one of MobyCast. And it'll probably be more than one episode this time because virtual machines versus containers is not something that you can talk about briefly that's so important and such a big topic that I think it's going to deserve at least three, but maybe even four episodes to really get deep into the stuff that's driving cloud development today. And this, you know, Chris, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. This is part of why we want to do this is because of of some feedback we've gotten on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we love, we love feedback. It's, it's good to hear from from folks that are listening to um, to these episodes that we're we're making, and we want to make sure that they they resonate with you and um, they're useful and provide value. So uh, we do look at the the ratings and reviews, and in one, so it's nice. Um, <laughs> we have quite a quite a few nice reviews out there, um, and yes, those are fun to get, those. right? Yeah, don't yeah. don't get me wrong; those are fun to get about. Like, wow, you guys are just awesome, right? You're the bee's knees. Um, but um, we we did um, find one. I think it was in. It's actually in the Canadian store. Um, Canada, for, yeah, for iTunes. Being real with us, <laughs> yeah, the truth bomb. And um, so had a, had a had a review there where um, you know the the reviewer essentially was saying, "Look, you know, listen to a bunch of your episodes. 
And, you know, the first episode, it's kind of obvious you didn't do your homework, right? Like you, you actually had a few things inconsistent. There were some holes there. Um, and, you know, in later episodes, it's obvious you guys did do your homework and, and got better. So not really great feedback to hear in a way, but also at the end of the day, the dude is right. Like he, he was, he was, he was absolutely one I, one hundred percent correct. And it's, it actually is great feedback. And I think you know part of that is like when we first sat down to do the, the first episode of Mobycast, really didn't have any idea like where was this going. Um, and I think if you had told me, here it is today, where we're recording episode eighty-one. Um, would we be doing that many episodes? You know, back when we first started doing this with episode one, I was like, I'm, you know, I don't know if I w- if I would believe you. Um, but I would we- have gotten anxiety if you had said that to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's just start with one, and, I'll, and, right. and 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 you know, it it was a learning process for us too as well, um, and also very busy um, with you know just just holding the fort down with with you know our day jobs, if you will. And uh, we, it was perhaps a little bit too off the cuff. So, right. Um, I do have one other point to make about the, the Canadian review, though. Like, he gave us three stars and he said we weren't very good, but he also outed himself for having listened to the whole thing. Would you do that? <laughs> like, my goodness. Like, if I think something's not that good, I stop. <laughs> I don't keep going. Yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's a little bit of a contra- con- um, contradiction there, right? To say, like, hey, you know, not not really. This is not so um, so great of a podcast. Yet I've listened to obviously multiple oh, episodes, right? Like many episodes, and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I, I think most people, if you you're going to give a po- you might even give a podcast only like five minutes before you're like, you know what, this is just not going to, this is not working for me. Um, mm-hmm. So to to sit through um, to listen to hours worth of content. Um, yeah, I mean, so something's going right there, right? Must so, be doing a lot of driving or something, or just out of other tech podcasts. But well, yeah. you know, giving them a hard time, we really appreciate the feedback. And if you ever want to meet us in person, I'll, I'll buy you Horton's coffee or, or whatever they drink up there in Canada. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I, um, I have a Tim Horton story that I will save for some <laughs> other day. Right? We we have a lot we have a lot to cover here with um, yes. VMs and containers and breaking them all down again. So. Um, maybe we should uh, continue on with that. Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, today we'll mostly be talking about VMs, um, less about containers. Let's just really understand what VMs are all about. They are what drive the cloud. There is no cloud without VMs. So um, maybe Chris, you can kick us off there. Yeah, and I mean, I think just can't stress that point enough, right? Like VMs really led to the creation of the cloud. Like you just can't do it without it and it's really one of those key core technologies that we live with every day and we throw around this term VM um you know every day but really understand like what is what that is how it works the different flavors the different technologies that are around it like a lot of a lot of folks are a little sketchy um, on the details there so so we want to dive into and and uh, kind of really understand that, and I, I think it'll be helpful for for all of us, right? In in as we work in with cloud native software and mm-hmm. spinning up machine, you know, VMs, and understand, and, and it will 
lead a lot of value and kind of understanding like, okay, what is the difference between VMs versus containers? And spoiler mm-hmm. alert, there's this new thing called micro VMs, which mm-hmm. is a combination of VMs and containers. And you know, just where where the technology is going as well. So this is gonna be just really understanding VMs at a fundamental level is just crucial foundation knowledge. Um, and so it's it's worth spending some time on. Right. And it's it, just like in our episode or our series that we did on encryption, um, the first episode kind of laid a lot of foundations and then we built on those foundations in the following episodes. So today we'll be laying some foundation. Absolutely. So let's get started with that. So first, let's talk about the types of virtualization, um, and really we can we can talk about it two broad types. So one is full virtualization, um, and this is typically what we're referring to when we talk about virtual machines. So VMs. So this is full virtualization, which is a mouthful. Um, this is simulating enough hardware to allow another operating system to to run on it um, in isolation. Right, unmodified. So it's it's virtualizing everything. So we talk talk a lot a lot about this in episode one, where it's virtualizing the entire machine. Right, it's virtualizing the hardware and the, mm-hmm. the the software. Right. So to that running guest OS, it doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know that it's actually running inside software inside of this 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 virtualization. Yeah, you can think of back in the day, like if you had a Windows. Operating system it literally came in a box that you could buy at Best Buy. You could take that thing and install it, and it has certain expectations of what the hardware is going to be, and those would all be met by full virtualization. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. In fact, back to the like device driver, device driver hell. Um. Right, right. But I think that's a good and you know it's a good way to think about it because if if you could take the disk out of the box and install it, like. You know, even though you're not installing it directly on the machine, you're installing it into the virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a really helpful way of thinking about it. Then the, the the software doesn't know any better; it doesn't know the difference. Oh, exactly. So um, one of the key fundamental enabling technologies for for full virtual for full virtualization is something say it called in Spanish. A, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's do it in all the different languages. Yeah. Full virtualization. <laughs> it's hard for me to say it's, too. I know it's it's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Could we just say the V word? <laughs> um, so any, yeah. So uh, a big, uh, a big component of this is going to be the hype is the hypervisor, um, and the hypervisor is kind of what allows this full virtualization to to happen. We'll we'll talk more about that um, as we get further into into this episode. Um, but just keep in mind, hypervisor is going to be really important for, for for the full virtualization. And some examples of Full virtualization technologies are things like VMware, Parallels, VirtualBox, Microsoft Hyper-V, KVM. There's just a bunch, bunch of these things that um, you know we we talk about with virtual machines. So that's full virtualization. The other type of virtualization is operating system level virtualization, and this is actually what containers are. Um, so mm-hmm. containers are. Taken, the, basically, it's it, the virtualization is happening at the operating system level. The res, so here the resources of the computer are being partitioned via the host OS kernel and the guest the guest OSs. And by the way, so we're going to talk a lot about host versus guest. And yep. so host is the is the native operating system running unvirtualized on a machine. And the guest is the virtualized OS running 
in whatever whatever technology it's using. So host host and guest. So in the operating system level of virtualization, those guest OSs they're sh- they're going to share the same running instance of the OS as the host. So the the operating system kernel is shared. It's it's the constant mm-hmm. across these things mm-hmm. versus in a full virtualization environment that's not the case. There's mm-hmm. separate that makes sense. separate kernels, right? So operating system level virtualization, um, some core technologies there that enable that. Things like um, uh, namespaces and C groups. And when we're gonna when we talk about containers, we're really gonna dive deep into just how that stuff works. Um, but some examples. I'm so looking forward to that because I think that's where I think that's where you know maybe we were a little weak in episode one, and where I'm still to this day I'm a little weak. So I'm I'm gonna be depending on you, Chris, to teach me. Yeah, we'll 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 make you strong. Good, good, good. Yeah, and so some examples there for operating system level virtualization um, implementations. Um, obviously, Docker, Linux containers, LXC, and the original. Technology here is FreeBSD jails, um, which came on the scene in uh, 2000, I believe it was. So almost almost 20 years old now, but didn't oh, take off as that's much. So as wild! It's like came on the scene in 2000, just before virtual machines got popular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that virtual machines weren't already around, but they weren't they weren't really popular in 2000. People weren't really saying much. You know, VMware I don't think was was really a big company at that point. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's a whole other part of the history is like why VMs even were created. You know, what were some of the things that um, the conditions that caused them to to explode? Mm, so, mm. I know for me personally, you know, back in the the late '90s and early 2000s, VMs were like the the, the really the reason for doing those was like for developer. Reasons where you yeah. want to be able to to um, test different versions of an operating system, like or you're you're writing some code, you want to make sure that it runs on this version of the OS. Like um, like I was at Microsoft, we were writing client client code um, for for Windows and needed to make sure it ran on it ran on both Windows ninety five and Windows ninety eight. Um, right, and, right. You know, Windows or for us at Storm the other one we like. It also, it wasn't cloud stuff. It was like, here, sales team, this is a VM. We're installing it on your laptop, and you can start it up, and it's going to be right where you want for your demo to be running. It mm-hmm. was, and it was like magic for them. Mm-hmm. Before that, we had a dual boot, mm-hmm. which yeah. was just, just horrible, right? So um, there, you, you instead of having a you know virtual machines, you just spliced up your hard drive into partitions and had different OSs installed on each one of those partitions, but you had to choose at startup which one you wanted. So um, so glad that we now have virtual machines. Exactly. You know, then later it became it, it was all about like how do you more effectively run, you know, take advantage of your resources. Um, how do you have big beefy servers but run multiple virtual servers on that to get the ideal density and, and um, efficiency of using the the CPU mm-hmm. and memory mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? And that's what then really drove the the cloud. Um, mm-hmm. And um, from there, you know, it was off to the races. Right, right. Right. So so let's focus now on the full virtualization. So this is again the virtual machines. Um, and we talked about Hypervisor is being kind of core to this, and so let's let's kind of peel that back a little bit. So hypervisors—they're also known as a virtual machine manager or VMM. 
And really what the hypervisor does is it's responsible for creating and running virtual machines. It's a process that separates the OS and applications from the underlying physical hardware, right? So it's the it's that that layer between them. Um, and multiple virtual machines running on the same physical machine, they're going to share virtualized hardware resources. So again, it's it's the thing that is responsible for 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 allowing for that virtualization of the machine itself of the hardware, um, so that those guests don't know the difference. So I get that idea, and I think we're going to answer my questions uh, coming up. So I'm going to save them, but but just know that. I have questions about this. I, I kind of get this idea that the hypervisor is managing my machines, my virtual machines, but I'm like, oh, I've got some questions. So let's keep going and let, let me just see if my questions get answered. And if, if not, I'll, I'll ask them. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so this might be um, kind of helpful. Just, there, so there's broadly, there's two types of hypervisors. There's type one and type two, right? Really, really creative with the names, but kind of makes it easy um, to keep track of them as well. So. For, let's talk about type two first, because type two is actually the the for us it's it's not as interesting, um, and so with with a type two hypervisor, um, this is running on top of a um, on top of the host operating system, and it's running like any other app actually, right? So mm. so you have your host machine. With the host OS, and then you have this Type Two hypervisor that's running kind of basically as like an application. Yeah, and then, some program, mm-hmm, some process, yeah. right? And then then you have your guest OSs running as running on top of that. Right. That's so weird, right? Like that's so weird because the operating system is installed directly onto the hardware. It has direct access to the hardware. It runs a program that then lets other operating systems get installed into it and that see the hardware virtually. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. And that was one of my questions. That was like that was exactly one of my questions. Maybe you knew that was going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, where is this hypervisor? You know, is it in the chip? Is it you know something that gets installed somehow in RAM? Like, where is this thing? Mm-hmm. So yeah, the type two hypervisor you're saying is just like any old software that runs on the operating system. Yeah, with some obviously with some some special special hooks and calls, right, and, and everything yeah. like that. But but it is it is very much important to read. Like it is a it is running on top of the host OS as a okay. as a separate program that you install. So some some examples of this are VirtualBox and Parallels. And so these are you can think of these as more these these hosted hypervisors these type two hypervisors really more for personal use. Um, so mm-hmm. um, this would be something again you you install on your on your MacBook or install on your Windows machine. You go get VirtualBox and now you can run different different operating systems and whatnot. But you're you're going through this hosted hypervisor. Which doesn't have nearly the kind of capabilities and access to the to the hardware and the ability to more effectively use the resources of the system. So, like these Type Two hypervisors, they um, you have to specify when you when you when you create a guest OS exactly how much memory it's going to get, 
and mm-hmm. how much disk space it's going to get. And that is just going to be carved off. Um, so if you have 16 gigs of, of RAM on your machine and you create three guest OSs and give them each four gigs of RAM, you're only going to have four gigs left over for your actual host. And then if you created another one with you know four gigs of RAM, another guest, then you're out of memory. Mm-hmm. Versus with the Type 1, it has much more flexibility where you can actually... Um, it's more dynamic in its in its resources. You can actually do the same kind of scenario, but not. It's only going to use memory that as it needs it. So mm. you're not you're not pre-allocating um, those those resources. So there's just more flexibility with Type One, more efficient use of the hardware, um, and that's why Type One hypervisors are what we'll see, you know, running on servers in the cloud and in the enterprise. Well, you've said now that Type 1 seem to give me some more flexibility and are better and are running in the cloud, but you haven't really told me what they are yet. No, nope. so let's let's dive into that. So, okay. so, so these Type 1 hypervisors, they're also called native or bare metal hypervisors. And okay. these, for the most part, they run directly on the host hardware to control that hardware and to manage any guest VMs. Okay. Something to wrap your head around is that they're an OS themselves, right? These mm-hmm. hypervisors. So it's a very simple OS, right? And it's so it's a simple, you can think of it as a simple operating system. It's running on top, um, it's running on that 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 hardware, that machine. And it really only exists for you to spawn VMs. Okay. Okay. So this is um, so it's again just you can imagine like you boot up a, a machine and instead of you know going into like a Windows OS or a Linux OS instead it's like this is the this is the hypervisor OS and it says you know mm-hmm. what do you want to do like well I want to go create VM or whatever like that or here's how you mm-hmm. interface to me and, and talk to me and whatnot for the most part again with these type one hypervisors the physical with the the physical machine that the hypervisor is running on like it serves only for having vms on it right so it knows how to talk to the hardware but it's not going to worry about things like users and other things like that that operating systems worry about right i mean it, it's it is based, it's purely you know you think of it as an os for vm and so whatever mm-hmm. vm whatever it needs to do with vms you know like back them up um you know create them delete you know Destroy them; those kinds of things. Like that's what it's, okay. that is what it's focused on. Um, cool. And so things like some examples here of Type One hypervisors are um, the Zen hypervisor, which is an open source project that's been around for for quite some time and and quite popular. There's um, Microsoft has its Hyper V hypervisor, mm-hmm. um, and then you know VMware, big player in this space as well. Mm-hmm. Their hypervisor, it looks like you have it here, is called ESX or ESXi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have quite a few different products and flavors. I mean, VMware has definitely been been in this space for you know almost twenty years now, and so there's a lots of different flavors. But that that you know ESX is is, is one of them. I'm just I'm I'm actually trying to picture like a you know you're setting up a you're setting up a data center. You get a machine, you put it on the rack. You give it access to a boot disk. That boot disk might already have like this hypervisor installed on it, and boom, it comes up, and then then like here's a bunch of VMs that you can, you know, on some other disks that you can have access to and start running. 
those would be like AMIs, right? Like, mm-hmm. go grab me an AMI. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a bit like, okay, what does AWS do in this space? And, you know, what, mm-hmm. what are, you know, how are EC2s implemented and what are the hypervisors that they're using there? And, you mm-hmm. know, what do, what do images look like? And what's, you know, how's an AMI different than, you know, another VM image and, and whatnot? So, mm-hmm. so we'll get to that in a future episode. But, but yeah, I guess, I guess that was the thing that occurred to me is, okay, so these things run on the bare metal. Who installs them? Where do they come from? Are they? Does every computer have them now? Is that just what we're running now? Like even my MacBook that I'm sitting in front of right now is that running a, a bare metal hypervisor these days or not? Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, no, for the for the most for your your MacBook's not. Um, mm-hmm. It does have a it does have a hypervisor in it. it so there's so kind of said okay there's type 1 type 2 and so type 1 mm-hmm. you know it's the hypervisors running directly on the it's bare metal right it's running directly on the hardware it's kind of a you can think of it as an operating system in and of itself and they really only exist to allow your machine to run virtual machines um, mm-hmm. so you know in that particular case like you would know if you had a type 1 hypervisor because like whenever you started your computer <laughs> you'd get a kind of a a very boring screen saying, "Okay, what do you want to do? Um, what what VM do you want to run?" Mm-hmm. So, and, and then type two, we said, "Okay, these are kind of like applications. You go and install, and you'd launch them, and and then you'd say, okay, what VM do I want to run?' And I want to, and and now you're, um, you know, again, it's pretty pretty prescriptive. Mm-hmm. There, the there has been a bit of um, some some cross pollination here. Um, an example yeah. of this would be. So a really an easy one to talk about here is Hyper-V from from Microsoft. So yep. Hyper-V is the Microsoft Type 1 hypervisor. Mm-hmm. It comes with Windows Server mm-hmm. and by default it's not enabled, but you can okay. go in and enable it by adding a role in in Windows or you can there's various different ways to enable it, right? But right. so Hyper-V, you can install or enable in, in Microsoft Windows, but it still has the host OS of Microsoft Windows, right? So it's not, so it's it's a little bit different, right? It's not like this pure, like what we talked about, type one, where it's like there's this, mm-hmm. this, 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 just this VM operating system, right? Called the, the hypervisor, and that's all that's on there. And then you can install your, your, um, you know, you can have whatever VMs you want running. So, if that was the case with Hyper V, like you would, for, you would just have a computer. You'd install Hyper V, and then after that, like if you wanted that computer to run Windows Server, you'd then install that as a as a VM on that machine, right? And that's it's not how how Hyper how Hyper V works. Okay, I guess what I had been picturing, like when I was wondering, are these things on my machine already? Is that what just runs these days? Is like kind of like. You know, installing Microsoft Windows might be doing something like installing a hypervisor and then installing Windows and then just kind of scripting. You know, this is what happens: the hypervisor starts and then it starts the Windows VM, and like you don't get a choice, like you don't get that screen you're talking about because it's just automated. Um, and that's what I had been kind of wondering if that was happening because I swear I've seen like the word hypervisor and in the startup script of my OS's like literally on my OS that you know my computer that I'm sitting next to right now but maybe I haven't I don't know just that word feels familiar to me mm-hmm. from this the boot sequence mm-hmm. yeah i mean like it's 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 there um 
by default in in modern versions of Windows now. Um, mm-hmm. There's there are so part of this is like okay, what what is a hypervisor and what do you need it for? Right, you need it for its its whole purpose is to virtualize the hardware so that you can run virtual machines, mm-hmm. um, and so. You you want that there when you have the need for running virtual machines, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a need for running virtual machine, then you don't need it. So th- this is one mm-hmm. of the reasons why Hyper V is implemented the way it is. There's for the most part, like most people, like in your in your laptop, your desktop computer, you don't have a need for running a VM. Um, so like me, I'm running. Uh, I have a MacBook. You know, for the most part, I don't need a VM. Until I run Docker, and then when I run Docker, I do need a VM, and so the Docker implementation on on my MacBook then takes advantage of a hypervisor to launch a VM in which Docker can run, and we'll, we'll talk about that more in the container when we 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 talk more about containers. But yeah, think I guess think of it as like it. For the most part, hypervisor is going to be something that's going to be pretty explicit of, of a choice for you, of whether or not it's actually enabled and you're you're running virtualized software through it. Does that make sense? It does, and it kind of answers my the thing that was also going on in my head, which was you know if VMs are super super efficient at this point, like you can turn around what you just said, like I don't have a need to run a VM. Um, to be like, I don't have a need not to run a VM. Like, why not? Like, why not just always be running a VM? Um, because maybe if if everything was always VMs, maybe like the abstraction and dealing with VMs kind of would be more same, right? Like, there you wouldn't need to have a difference between like you, you would just be always in a VM, right? And so everything is a VM. Everything there's no no such thing as pure operating system that talks directly to the host hardware anymore. But it sounds like we're not there yet, or and maybe we'll never go there. Uh, but I was imagining in my head, oh, we could be it. We could be there. Why why not go there? Why not have everything always be a VM, even my MacBook Pro OS X software? Uh, but it sounds like we're not there. No, and if we were there, it would, it would probably be for implementation um, benefits of People writing software and hardware, and less for mm-hmm. users. Um, exactly. Like they're, 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 yeah, exactly. Right. So, because then everything looks the same. Like mm-hmm. everything's a VM to the people that are writing yeah. code, writing mm-hmm. programs. Yeah. Um, but there's again because you have something sitting between it. There's always going to be some performance penalty, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it's if you don't need. To be running, and if you don't need virtualization, then like you don't want it. Um, and again, that's so. That's again, like why, like for the most part, your laptop and your desktop computers, like you're not running a virtualized guest OS. But in the cloud, like this is all that those servers run, right? There mm-hmm. is no host OS on mm-hmm. those machines, right? It is just that hypervisor, and the only reason why those machines exist is to run VMs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to- so totally, totally different kind of use case and and, and how they're used. Cool. Um, and like I said, there, so there's you know it gets a little blurry with like um, 
you know, do you have a host OS with type one super with type one hypervisors? We talked about hyper hyper V, how that's a bit of a, a mishmash. KVM, uh, which is for Linux, um, it's basically it's kernel based virtual machine um, extensions, um, and this is um, also a type um, type one hypervisor, but it requires Linux, right? So Linux is a is a host OS. So it's it's blurring the line there a little bit as well. But for the, again, for the most part, type one bare metal native hypervisor, um, and that's really kind of what we'll be talking about going forward, um, since that is the the predominant one in the in the space that we're in when we're running cloud software. Great, makes sense. Yeah. So. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about protection levels um, and rings. And this is, you know, one of the things that we talked a little bit about in episode one, where we were talking about virtual machines was, you know, how does the, um, how do you, how do you virtualize the hardware? And, you know, there's these things in the processors. I know that there's, they have some capabilities and you can sometimes in the past, you had to enable that in BIOS and, you know, what's going on there. Um, and so it's kind of helpful to understand again, like this, this, this virtualization of the hardware, how it's done. And by talking about these pr- protection levels, the, the ring. So this applies to the, um, to the Intel family of CPUs, the x86 family of CPUs. They, um, the CPUs themselves, they have this, this range of protection, protection levels, um, and they're, they're known as rings. So there's essentially four levels of rings. So ring zero, that has the highest level of privilege going down to ring three, which is the lowest level. And so ring zero having the highest level of privilege, that's where your kernel or the supervisor um, is running, right? And so by the way, the the kernel, another name for kernel is, is supervisor. Okay. And this is this is why this is where the term hypervisor comes from, right? Because a hypervisor is really a supervisor of supervisors. Okay. <laughs> right? So hypervisor. Um, so ring zero, that's where the kernel is running. That's where the, the highest level of privilege, like direct access to the, the CPU. Um, and then you know moving on out from those rings, there's less and less privilege to where your applicant Basically, your applications that you install and run on your on your OS, those are running in Ring Three, mm-hmm. right? So, with 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 virtualization with with VMs, the hypervisor is going to be occupying Ring Zero of, CP, of, the, of the CPU, right? Which you know make again makes sense. It has to, right? It needs the highest level of privilege. But this kind of now gives rise to a bit of a problem because your guest operating systems. Those kernels, they are they're written explicitly to run in ring zero, right? Mm-hmm. But they can't because the hypervisor is running in ring zero. Okay. So they they can't be in that. Um, so so how do we so so we we need some way of dealing with this, right? And this again is going to be you know this is one of the the key things of how the virtualization happens, what the hypervisor is doing, and and the interaction between the guest OS um, and the hypervisor. So we have to deal with these guest OS kernels that were designed to run in ring zero that they can't. Like, how does how do we bridge that gap? And so there's basically three three broad ways of dealing with this. 
So one is full virtualization. And with this, the hypervisor, hypervisor is providing CPU emulation to handle those ring zero operations made by the guest OS kernels. Okay. Um, so this is complete emulation of the CPU, right? So that requires both time and, and, and resources. It's kind of the, the easiest in the sense that the guest OS kernels, they don't have to know anything different. But because it's complete emulation of the CPU, the performance isn't great, right? This is like the worst, worst performance you can have, right? Because you're now, you're just completely emulating the CPU. It's no longer, it's not hardware, right? Um, so that's full virtualization. And that's how things first started off. So then we need some techniques like, okay, let's, we, we need better performance than that. Like, how are we going to deal with this? And so this leads rise to the, to the other two techniques. One's called para-virtualization, and the other one is hardware virtualization. And so para-virtualization, and, and you may have seen this, um, like sometimes if you're um, launching EC2s, you'll, you'll see um, options there for um, PV versus hardware virtualization hmm. on your EC2, right? You, just may, you may have seen this, um, you know, just mentioned um, in passing, and it's like, hmm, what is... What is that? So right, right. This is, so so this is what it exists for, right? This is that it's that problem of you you have a you have a virtual machine, the guest OS needs to be running in ring zero, but it can't. So how do you do that? And so para virtualization, it's a what it is is the hypervisor provides an API that allows the guest OS to make calls under those API when it needs to run ring zero operations. Okay. Okay. So the the good thing, right, performance wise, is like it's not now it, it's no longer doing the full emulation of the CPU. Mm-hmm. The operations that need to be running at ring zero do run at ring zero through mm-hmm. these hy- hyper calls to the hypervisor. But the downside is that the guest OS has to be modified, right? It has to be aware of this. Yeah. So the guest OS has to make changes to its code. To say instead of making these ring zero direct calls, I instead have to make these hypervisor API calls. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So that's para virtualization. So so good performance, but the bad thing is like you got to go change code, right? The mm-hmm. get, the, so the, there's limited you know compatibility there, right? You have to have a guest OS. So that would be like the the guest OS, like Microsoft Windows or or Ubuntu or whatever, has to be capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. It has to be aware of that hypervisor and know that it's running in that environment, and again, replace those. You know, when it would have normally done those ring zero calls, instead, it's making these hyper hypervisor API calls. Okay. Got it. So that's para virtualization, and then the the last one is hardware virtualization. So what this is is this is now the CPU itself. Has hardware virtualization extensions built directly into the chip, and so this started happening in 2005, 2006. Um, both Intel and AMD added this to their to their to their CPU chips, and basically added a bunch of new instructions that allow for these guest OSs to run what normally would have been ring zero operations in 
using these new instructions, right? That it's 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 so so the actual virtualization support is coming from the chip itself to do these things. So these these new instructions they permit the the entering and exiting of a virtual execution mode. Okay. Where so the guest OS thinks it's running with full privilege at ring zero, but it's not right. It, it's it's carved out, and the host OS is 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 still protected. So the, the so the true ring zero is protected, right? By by mm-hmm. running these 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 new instructions. So the good thing with this, your guest OS doesn't have to have any modifications, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't know any better. But the the performance is is great because you're actually you're not doing emulation. You're running directly. Um, directly on the chip through the, the you're directly on the CPU. So, are you saying the hypervisor is like, okay, chip, uh, gonna gonna hand off instructions now for a bit to um, VNA, let's call it, and the chip's like, all right, go for it, I'm ready, and then VMA starts making calls uh, to the chip as though it normally would, and the the chip is like, yep, you're who I was expecting to be making these calls. Go ahead, I'm doing these operations for you. Until the hypervisor is like, okay, I want it back. I want my access back. No more virtual. No more virtual mode. And I'm going to do my own stuff again. Is that kind of how it works? Do you think? I mean, you probably can think of this as just it's it's actually creating a new ring um, above ring zero for the hypervisor. Mm-hmm. And so that that's essentially what what this is enabling. So again, okay. you're. You know the important thing here is you're you're carving out that protected ring of of core privilege to only the hypervisor, and the guest OSs have some amount of protection so that they can't pollute that. Mm-hmm. And so these instructions are essentially creating a ring above zero for the hypervisor to 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 run in. Okay, a lot to unpack. <laughs> Yeah, it is a lot to unpack, and you know, the, the we could go on and on because then I start to have questions about about what exactly is getting protected, and you know, and kind of I want to think of it in terms of examples a little bit. I don't know if you would be able to kind of give me an example of like of of a sequence of events that might happen, but if you could, that would be awesome. If not, we'll save it for next next episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a, a big part of this, and um, uh, doesn't have to do with necessarily with. With CPU instructions, but it's it's also address space too, right? So like carving out that virtual address space, so that these VMs have their own isolated address spaces, right? So they but can't. that but that's confusing in and of itself too, right? Because it's like, well, if the chip is the thing that's supporting the you know if it's supporting the virtualization, and I guess that there's the red there's like registers. Uh, which are very limited, and maybe that's the address space you're talking about. But then there's also like the memory, which you can put in and pull out. And there could be four gigs, eight gigs, sixteen gigs, mm-hmm. sixty-four gigs. You know, terabyte of memory and that also has address space. And I wouldn't think that the chip would know anything about that. No, yeah. So that and the chip, the CPU does know about that, right? So that those are. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Is this is the um, it does know about that? I would I thought that that was the operating system's job to kind of know about that stuff. The CPUs have they have direct support for that, uh-huh. um, and then the OSs are they're allowed to like you know they have to 
allocate that, right? And but something mm-hmm. has to control the access to it, right? There, mm-hmm. something has to talk to the to the memory chip, um, and mm-hmm. so it's going through mm-hmm. these CPU instructions to do that. So there's there's CPU specific capabilities dealing just with this for that makes virtual machines safer and protects it, right? So in, with Intel chips. It has something called um, extended page tables (EPT). Um, so this is part of that page table virtualization. So this is dealing with like the memory that we think of, right? When we're saying, like, I go, I, my application needs a gigabyte of RAM, right? Those are that memory is expressed as pages of of, of addresses, mm-hmm. um, and so the the chip itself has support, right, for having these virtual address spaces that are isolated from each mm, one of these okay. these these VMs, right? So there's that going on. There's the there's actual operations, um, CPU operations that are added to it to kind of give us that that ring above zero for the for the hypervisors, so that we're making room for ring zero for the for the guest OSs, but again without overstepping their bounds and you know not causing like a um, blue screen of death, right? Right, yeah. So means that you can blue screen of death in the guest OS. It's running in what it thinks is ring zero, but it doesn't bring down the hypervisor, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's that kind of like the isolation there that we're, yeah, that we're talking yeah, yeah. about that it's doing. Yeah, super fascinating. Yeah, so um, so so that I think you know that's a good foundation for like, okay, virtual machines, full virtualization, Hypervisors, the two the two broad types of it, kind of going deep into the the type one hypervisors, since that's really what's powering cloud um, the cloud, and then talking a little bit about okay, well, how do these how does the guest OS actually access the hardware and some of that virtualization take place through these these rings of privilege and the ways to get around this problem of like hypervisor needs to run a ring zero. How do the guest get access to ring zero? And that's where we talked about emulation and pair virtualization and then the actual hardware support for it. Maybe that's a good place to leave off today. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. next time we can kind of dive in a little bit with some actual implementations of hypervisors. So we'd like to talk about Hyper-V um, and its architecture because it's it's really kind of interesting and I think it'll it'll actually help really bring to light some of the stuff that we've talked about here. Um, talk a little bit about KVM, which is Linux's kernel-based virtual machine um, extensions, which is very important. And this is actually where a lot of um, a lot of the technology is is going to today, especially in AWS. And then we can kind of talk more about just AWS and and its history of hypervisors and and what it what it does. Um, so when you're spinning up an EC2, what are the options there for hypervisor? And how have they been addressing performance? So they've actually been going down the route of making custom ASICs um, to deal with some of this stuff um, and to make it faster. Um, so we can talk about that as well. Cool, I can't wait. Um, yeah, and already I'm feeling better about this. I'm feeling like I have a, like a better foundation than I did in episode one. So thank you very much, Chris. Awesome. All right, talk to you next week. All right, we'll see ya. Nobody listens to podcast outros. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. It's the outro song. Come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on Reddit at r slash mobicast.